0: This is The World in Brief, from The Economist. Our Top Stories Giorgia Maloney was appointed Italy's first female prime minister after facing down Silvio Berlusconi in a tussle over her cabinet. Mr. Berlusconi had wanted to choose the justice minister, but Ms. Maloney named a member of her hard-right Brothers of Italy party to the post. Mr. Berlusconi's chumminess with Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, did not stop Ms. Maloney from making Antonio Tajani, a member of Mr. Berlusconi's party, her foreign minister. Her right-wing government will be sworn in on Saturday. The House committee investigating the January 6th attack issued a subpoena to Donald Trump and asked him to testify in person around November 14th. The move is largely symbolic. America's former president will surely defy the subpoena and claim executive privilege. Earlier in the day, Steve Bannon, Mr. Trump's former chief strategist, was sentenced to four months in prison and fined $6,500 for ignoring his own subpoenas. Penny Mordaunt, the leader of the House of Commons, was the first to declare her candidacy in the Conservative Party's leadership election to replace Liz Truss as prime minister. Other likely frontrunners include Rishi Sunak, a former chancellor, and Boris Johnson, an ex-Prime Minister who was forced to resign in July. Markets slumped further as official data revealed higher-than-predicted public sector borrowing in September. Gas prices fell in European markets after EU leaders agreed to continue working towards a possible price cap to, quote, immediately limit spikes. Dutch front-month gas, the European benchmark, fell 6% to €116, or $114, per megawatt-hour on early Friday. France, Italy and Spain have long pushed for a price ceiling in response to the energy crunch. Germany has opposed the market intervention, arguing that it could hurt future supply. Imran Khan, former prime minister of Pakistan, has been disqualified from political office for five years for alleged corruption. The country's elections commission said Mr. Khan misled officials about gifts he received from the leaders of Saudi Arabia and Dubai. Pakistan is expecting a general election in 2023, but Mr. Khan, whose anti-government rallies have attracted mass support, cannot stand in them. Pfizer is set to nearly quadruple the price of its COVID-19 vaccine when the American government purchasing program ends next year. The cost will rise to between $110 and $130 per dose as the drug maker tries to offset the financial effects of weak demand for booster vaccines. Angela Lucan, a Pfizer executive, said that the vaccine will remain free for Americans with either private or government-paid insurance. Inflation in Japan climbed to reach an eight-year high in September. Core consumer prices increased by 3% year-on-year, exceeding the central bank's 2% target for a sixth consecutive month. The Bank of Japan has maintained an ultra-loose monetary policy even as the yen has tumbled. It slid to 150 per dollar on Thursday, its lowest rate since 1990. And Word of the Week Cicerone an expert in beer. Their number has grown in America with the proliferation of craft beers. And now, here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Xi Jinping cements control. The five-yearly Congress of China's Communist Party closes on Saturday, but not before changes to the party's charter are unveiled. These may include shortening the official name for the president's political ideology from, quote, Xi Jinping thought on socialism with Chinese characteristics for a new era to the snappier Xi Jinping thought. That may seem trivial, but it evokes, quote, Mao Zedong thought, the philosophy of the party's founder, and would further elevate Mr. Xi's position in party lore. On Sunday, the party will present its reshuffled leadership. Mr. Xi will undoubtedly be given a new five-year term as chief. The Politburo, which currently has 25 members, is expected to include even more of his protégés. One name to watch is Li Qiang, the top party official in Shanghai and an ally of Mr. Xi. Some believe he will ascend to the seven-member Politburo Standing Committee, the top decision-making body despite overseeing the shambolic lockdown of China's financial hub earlier this year. (laughs) Tackling England's Troubled Rugby Clubs Rugby players are known more for being covered in blood and sweat than tears. But on October 17th, when Wasps, a 155-year-old club from the English Midlands, went into administration, players were, quote, bawling their eyes out, according to the administrator who gave them the news. It was the second club from the premiership, England's top division, to go under in less than two weeks. Worcester Warriors, founded in 1871, suffered a similar fate. Both had crippling debts. Although the details of the club's mismanagement might differ, their demise points to a bigger problem in English rugby. Ticket sales, sponsorship deals, and television rights are not enough to sustain an ambitious club, and the men in Blazers running the sport have poor financial oversight. This has led to wild overspending by teams attempting to gain the upper hand, and it has left the premiership in disarray, scrambling to salvage the season while players look for new clubs. Alex Katz at New York's Guggenheim Flat, cool, and arresting, Alex Katz's portraits are impossible to confuse with anyone else's. The 95-year-old developed his vivid painting style, a blend of abstract expressionism and billboard commercialism in the late 1950s, and continues to use it today. Mr. Katz's works are highly valued within the art world. Blue Umbrella 1 a painting from 1972 sold for $4.1 million in 2019. Still, he is overlooked by the public, in part because his paintings can be hard to classify. The Solomon R. Guggenheim Museum in New York aims to correct this oversight with Alex Katz' Gathering, a grand retrospective that opened on Friday. Mr. Katz's colorful, minimalist portraits may seem simple, yet up close, his brushwork is nuanced. The marvels of this show are his more recent and massively immersive landscapes, for which he continues to use a ladder. Quote, I've been on fire, he said recently, clearly tickled by both his productivity and his longevity. A Story Finally Told in Descendant In 1860, Clotilda, the last known slave ship to reach America, docked in Alabama. Having arrived decades after the importation of captive Africans to the country had been abolished, the ship was burned and sunk after the 110 people it was carrying had disembarked. Its remains were found in 2019, after decades of mystery. On Friday, Descendant, a documentary focusing on the ship's legacy, was released on Netflix. The film traces the lives of the men, women, and children brought to America aboard the Clotilda. When slavery was abolished entirely five years after their voyage, many tried to return to what is now Benin in West Africa, but did not have the funds to do so. They went on to found Africatown, a relatively successful community in Mobile, Alabama. They and their descendants were long threatened with violence if they revealed their history. No longer. Descendant, which was introduced at a film festival in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, by Barack Obama, a former president, and his wife Michelle, deftly explores their stories. Weekend Profile John Fetterman, Pennsylvania's Democratic Senate nominee John Fetterman looks like no other senator. Bald, goateed, tattooed, and well over two meters tall, he almost always wears his signature hoodie and shorts in public. He is running for an open Senate seat in Pennsylvania against Mehmet Oz, a Republican television personality and former surgeon. The race may determine control of the Senate in America's midterms on November 8th, so beyond his striking appearance, who is he? Born in 1969, Mr. Fetterman grew up in a conservative home in southern Pennsylvania. He played American football at university and expected to take over his father's insurance business. But as he tells it, his friend's sudden death in a car crash propelled him towards public service. He graduated from Harvard's Kennedy School of Government, then taught high school dropouts in Braddock, a rough suburb of Pittsburgh. In 2005, he ran for mayor of Braddock and won by a single vote. He served three full terms, then campaigned for the Senate in 2016, losing in the primary. He then ran successfully for lieutenant governor in 2018. His duties include presiding over the state senate, which he does, for dress code reasons, in the one suit he owns, and Pennsylvania's pardons board, which reviews felons' requests for pardons and commutations. Long an advocate for criminal justice reform, under his leadership, the board has pardoned far more people than past boards. Republicans have attacked him for being weak on crime, and more broadly, for being far more left-wing than his blue-collar demeanor suggests. And indeed, Mr. Fetterman endorsed Bernie Sanders for president in 2016, supports legalizing cannabis, and, aside from his support for fracking, is generally a liberal Democrat, even if he comes off as just another guy at the bar. A bigger concern is his health. Mr. Fetterman had a stroke in May. Since then, he has given few interviews, agreed to just a single debate, to be held on Tuesday, and appeared halting in public. He has tried to make a virtue of his struggles, asking audiences at his rallies how many of them know someone with health problems. He may eventually fully recover, but if his condition is worse than he lets on, he will look slippery and evasive, the opposite of the straight-shooting persona he has created. The winners of this week's quiz. Thank you to everyone who took part in this week's quiz. The winners, chosen at random from each continent, were Asia, Anand Mahajan, Mumbai, India North America, Mike Hesselschwart, Cincinnati, America Central and South America, Ivan Campos, Ancud, Chile Europe, Javier Santa Maria, Madrid, Spain Africa, Rob Blair, Harare, Zimbabwe Oceana, Grant Reese, Queenstown, New Zealand. They all gave the correct answers of American Express, Library of Congress, Paddington Bear, Mirror Group, and Nile. The theme is Agatha Christie novels, Murder on the Orient Express, The Body in the Library, 450 from Paddington, The Mirror Cracked from Side to Side, and Death on the Nile. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Carrie Fisher. Things are getting worse faster than I can lower my standards. That's the World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio.